0: Welcome to Straight White American Jesus. My name is Brad Onishi. Our show is hosted in partnership with the CAP Center at UCSB and today I am back with my co-host. How you doing, Dan? I'm
1: Good. Glad to be back. Uh, I am Dan Miller, Associate Professor of Religion and Social Thought at Landmark College, for those who might not know that by memory at this point. Uh, yeah, but Brad, <laughs> thanks for carrying, carrying the load last week. I was... Uh, on a trip, visited my brothers. It's the first time both of my brothers and I have been in the same like space together at all the same time in
0: ten years. So uh, it was it was a really wow. really nice trip. That's great. Wow, it's really cool. As somebody, we both have two brothers, and so as somebody who's in a similar situation, I know how how nice it is to see folks and uh, to be in the same place. It's tough. Um, all right, we're gonna talk about uh, talked a little bit about this last week, and to talk some more about the Proud Boys, but gonna link it more to anti vax. Uh, movements this week. Going to talk about uh, Capital Bomber from, from yesterday and uh, the relationship there with Christian nationalism and radicalization. And just want to talk about masks and uh, kind of what's happening in different parts of the country in terms of blue and red states and municipalities and how this is really dividing us. Again, these are some of the things we talked about last week, but uh, I think we'll open them up. And with Dan back, we'll have some different perspectives. want to start, though, Dan, just briefly on Afghanistan. I, I feel like uh, we've really gone back and forth on whether or not to do extended uh, material on this work. Neither of us are experts on Afghanistan uh, or what's happening uh, in the Middle East writ large. However, th- the thing that I do think is pertinent and, and we do have some lived experience with and and maybe some uh, some knowledge about is just how evangelicals and evangelical leaders and evangelical politicians in general. Viewed the kind of move into Afghanistan and then Iraq in the early aughts Uh, You know, I I will just share that from my perspective. There was there was resounding support for the war in Iraq Uh, uh, You know on the part of George W. Bush and his administration There was also a need a seen need to kind of go into Afghanistan and and to do uh, you know what we did and I'm wondering if you had a similar kind of experience in your communities.
1: You know, I did. I was, as people might know from if they've listened to some of our origin story podcasts, I just made it sound like superheroes. So was, you're you're welcome, everybody. Um, <laughs> but I, I was a Southern Baptist pastor at the time when that invasion took place. And this, the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, was one of the only major denominations in the U.S. to put out statements like in favor of the 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 policies that were going on in in the invasions of of Iraq and Afghanistan more so Iraq Afghanistan was less controversial uh, because that's right where the Taliban was that's where the attacks that were launched against the U S all of that sort of stuff um, and the Iraq thing was sort of drummed up later um, but anyway but yeah so I remember I remember hearing that most progressive denominations we talk about the mainline or the liberal traditions were opposed to this because they were opposed to kind of a militaristic foreign policy but within the evangelical world it was very different i guess what i would say is this i mean it's a mess and it's been a mess for you know a long long time and people like to talk about the cost and so-called blood and treasure and it's been really high in both and no matter kind of how you calculate it there there don't seem to be lots of positives that have come from it what I would say is this is what it shows is there there is no messianic foreign policy. Like that's how I would describe that evangelical embrace at the time. It was wrapped up sometimes in weird apocalyptic themes and, you know, the proximity to Israel and different things like that. Things we've talked about before, but it was often couched not just as a question of, of so-called nation building, not like a, a strictly political or foreign relations kind of question, but very much of this kind of apocalyptic messianic fervor. And I think if it shows nothing else. It shows that that's just just not how real politics and real foreign policy works. Um, this, this wasn't a win. And I, I don't know if it could have been won. I don't know if it could have been avoided. I don't know if it was. I'm not in a position to say that we should not have done anything in Afghanistan. I'm, I'm with you. I just I think I was in such a different place then. And it's so long ago and so complex that I don't know what all the options really, really were. But it does show that, you know, when we're in the world of politics, we're in worldly politics. and it. In, includes blood and guts, and there are no clear moral lines. And I think everything about that is on display here, Uh, whether we're talking about the initial decision to go in, whether we're talking about whether the Biden administration should or shouldn't have known uh, and seen that this was going to collapse so fast, whether we're talking about the GOP suddenly acting like they haven't been calling for this for years, just lots and lots of levels. But uh, I'm with you that if we put it within the context of evangelicalism and the Christian nationalism of 20 years ago, there was full full throated support and endorsement for this.
0: There was, and to me, there. This is one of the situations where there's no, there's no good guys. There's no, uh, there's no people who we should have listened to that actually had the answer. Once this started twenty years ago, it turned into a morass that was always going to end badly and proceeded badly. Uh, I will say, and so I, what I'm not going to do is defend Joe Biden and, and his administration. Uh, the the images coming from. Uh, from Afghanistan on the ground over the last, you know, 10 days have just been, been awful to watch. Uh, there's a lot of debate about trying to to understand how the Biden administration didn't see this coming in terms of the Taliban uh, taking over so quickly. I will remind everybody that this is, again, a sort of an American empire problem. So there was a George W. Bush problem. Uh, Barack Obama never figured it out. Uh, and then in Do- Donald Trump last, uh, this April of this year said, He believes the U.S. should leave Afghanistan earlier than uh, Biden. And he says, I made early withdrawal possible by already pulling much of our billions of dollars in equipment out and, more importantly, reducing our military presence to less than 2,000 troops. So, you know, Trump was on that sort of train uh, for a long time. Um, He said um, before that, that, uh, you know, he got the process going um, and all the troops are coming home. They couldn't stop the process. 20 years, one years is enough. They, meaning Biden, couldn't stop the process. They wanted to, but they couldn't stop the process. So that's Trump this summer, right? So, um, you know, if anybody tries to tell you that this was uh, Biden and he he was the only one, you know, looking to do this, obviously there's just clear receipts about uh, people having uh, the opinion that we should leave Afghanistan. Let me give you Josh Hawley. Uh, Dan, he said uh, April 13th of this year, President Biden should withdraw troops in Afghanistan by May 1, as the Trump administration planned. What did he say, you know, a couple days ago? This is the worst foreign policy debacle since Vietnam due to Joe Biden. So you can kind of see here, right, the doublespeak and everybody trying to sort of capitalize on this. And I guess for me, it's I'm not going to defend Joe Biden, but I'm also going to point out the fact that everyone from Josh Hawley to Trump, going back to, to Obama and Bush, uh, were engaged in, in a foreign policy effort that was truly just a lose-lose situation for everybody all around. And so, um, yeah. All right, Dan. I, I think we'll leave it there and uh, move into something else that is is something that's happening on the home front. And that is the ongoing alliance between the Proud Boys and the anti-vax movement. I talked about the Proud Boys last week when it came to Sean Foyt and his uh, worship rallies and, and in many ways his anti-COVID vaccine mandate. Uh, regulation rallies. This has continued. The Proud Boys uh, have really sort of seemed to find a niche in the anti-vax uh, situation or anti-vax movements. So, uh, writing at Politico, Amanda Marcotte says, "After the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, domestic terrorism experts were worried about the potential for more violence, and for good reason. Donald Trump and his allies were continuing to not just push the big lie, but float prophetic claims about a miraculous Trump reinstatement." In August. But as the summer wears on, it seems that at least some of the violent fascist anger that Trump has been stoking for years is now being aimed in a new direction. People who are trying to limit the spread of COVID 19. The anti vaccine movement appears to be getting increasingly nasty and violent. Worse yet, the same groups of people, specifically the Proud Boys, a right wing group who fueled the violence in DC, are now turning their attention toward undermining any effort to mitigate people's risk of getting sick. Uh, I'll point out, Dan, just some other info, and then I'll throw it to you. This is from Kelly Weil at the the Daily Beast. So we we just talked about California. Uh, this is happening in California. For those of you who don't know, uh, the, the LA Times has been covering this for, for weeks now. There have been numerous rallies where the Proud Boys and anti-vax people have uh, gotten violent, somebody was stabbed, and so on and so forth. In Florida, schools have uh, also seen an influx in outsiders crashing their meetings on masking. Last month, a group of men with Proud Boy uniforms and anti-masking signs attended a Palm Beach County, Florida school board meeting. Members of the group sat inside the meeting and stood on a street corner with a banner bedecked in the Proud Boys logo and the slogan, Unmask the Children. That same month, Proud Boys leader, Enrique Tarrio, attended a school board meeting in Florida's Miami-Dade County. Uh, He told uh, news Casters that members of his group are there to speak against masks, vaccine requirements, and critical race theory. Up in New Hampshire, uh, there have been uniformed Proud Boys who have held signs uh, condemning things like critical race theory, while another man who was not a local parent spoke against masks until meeting moderators turned off his microphone. Um, I could go on. There's a lot more examples of this. So New Hampshire, Florida, California, what we're seeing, Dan, are Proud Boys and anti-vaxxers basically joining forces. I'll throw it to you. What what do you see is happening in this whole phenomenon? Thanks for listening to this free preview of our Swag episode. In order to get access to the full episode and so much more, become a Straight White American Jesus Premium subscriber by clicking the link in the show notes. It'll take you like two clicks, I promise. In addition to getting access to this episode,